in the name of Jesus. Knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Moo! Oh, I loved that one as a kid. Now, you might be sitting there to yourself thinking, how irreverent. Pastor is telling knock-knock jokes from the pulpit, interrupting our worship service. But I would submit to you in our gospel text for today, it's Jesus who does the interrupting. There's a funeral procession. A mother's son has died Body has been prepared, clothes were picked out, perhaps mementos laid there in the casket. The service is over, and now it's time to go bury him in the ground as a seed until the day of the resurrection. And they're on their way to do just that when Jesus interrupts them stops the funeral procession in its tracks. I mean, that's not supposed to happen, right? I mean, you've got the police escorts, you've got the flashing lights, you're able to go through the stoplights and, and all the traffic and, and get where you're supposed to go, right? But Jesus stops all that. How rude. How irreverent of Jesus. I mean, come on, man. What's he thinking? What would you think if someone interrupted the funeral procession for one of your loved ones or dear friends? You'd be a little livid, wouldn't you? And so you are when Jesus interrupts your life. When you've got it all figured out, you've got your destination picked out, you've, you've Google, Google mapped it, you've, you've hit start, you know where you're going, you see your speed limit, so you know how much time you can make up or lose, if you know what I mean, and then Jesus shows up. And you find out that he's got something to say about your best laid plans. Your world gets rocked. It could be something that we would call major. Could be the death of a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend. Could be something else. And you just can't believe that, that your plans, your destination now are going to be completely changed. So you blame Jesus. You blame God. You start to question your faith and everything that's good, right, and salutary. But yet, Jesus comes to interrupt your life and in our gospel text to interrupt this funeral procession. And not only does he interrupt it, stop it, dead in its tracks, he does something else that totally irreverent and wrong, he touches the beer, touches the casket, touches the body. Awkward, maybe? If someone were to do that to your loved one, come up and be touching the casket and the body, and you're like, I don't know you, man, that's just somebody called the popo, right? A little awkward. 
But see, even more so at Jesus' time, and, and this is where you really need to dig into Scripture, and, and while it's important to, to, to look at the whole counsel of God that He's given to us, if you go all the way back to Leviticus, you learn that touching a dead body makes you unclean. Touching a dead body or anything that a dead body has been on or come in contact with means you're unclean for seven days. Seven days, you can't have contact with anybody else. You can't go to church. You can't do any of that stuff. You're kind of an untouchable. Jesus does just that. Becomes an untouchable. Jesus touches death itself. And when this happens, I mean, the people are like, what? What's going on here? We don't have anything recorded for us about how the woman reacted, the mother. We can read, obviously, a little bit into the text. I mean, here she is. Her husband has died. She's a widow. And now, this is obviously a really big deal because her only son dies. And you might say, in and of itself, that's just horrible. It's the way you and I so often think of death and how quickly we share stories of how bad things have happened and, and woe is me and woe is this family and woe is that. But I'd submit to you from Scripture that Jesus comes to interrupt your thoughts and presuppositions and when we're talking about Christian faith, provide something else. Something else that is important for us to address. In the case of this woman, and according to Jewish law and government, having lost both her husband and her only son means that she can no longer own property or vote. Let's just summarize it that way. Not having now a man to speak for her, to represent her, she has no legal standing. So in this case, it's a really big deal just in terms of daily practical life. Jesus comes and he has compassion on her in what seems to be a very strange way. But that's how our faith as Christians often seems to the world, perhaps even how we handle and deal with and talk about death. Jesus comes and interrupts all this. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus touches death itself and as we know, not just here in this gospel text, but there upon the cross. Jesus becomes separated from all things good, right, and salutary, from all things righteous and true when he bears your sin and mine. Bears the punishment that all of our sin deserves, given from his Father in heaven, he goes to Golgotha's hill to become unclean for you. For the woman, he interrupts the funeral procession. One, because he has compassion on her. And his way of having compassion seems awful weird. The first thing he says is, woman, stop your crying. Oh, oh my. How rude of Jesus. 
He's going to tell someone to stop weeping and crying after interrupting the funeral procession. Do you see how odd all of this sounds to us with how we deal with death? Woman, stop crying. Jesus comes to you and me and interrupts our life, interrupts our presuppositions because he's got a word of power, a word of authority that is so much more. It's a word of hope. It's a word of of what actually is and what will yet to come. To show that he has this power and authority, he comes there to this, this, this dead boy, this corpse, and he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, there's a third thing that Jesus does. (laughs) Hello, Jesus. The guy's dead. What's Jesus doing talking to a dead body? (laughs) But Jesus is the Word, mind you. The Word of life. The dead in Christ, especially here, the Word of life. You know, I have to admit, when I was a young father, I was not really good at the whole waking up in the middle of the night thing. I'm a pretty heavy sleeper. My wife obviously was responsible for feeding the kids. I could do that when I was given a bottle, but, you know, we went the natural way. I don't need to explain all that, right? That's why they're healthy, strong boys. But sometimes it's hard to wake me up, even still today. You might pat me on the shoulder five, six, seven times. You might talk to me, but there I am. Are you like that? I can't really control that. I'd like to change that sometimes. But it's just what it is. As I was thinking about this text, I thought about how difficult it is to kind of wake me up, myself up, when I'm sleeping sometimes. And... And how easily Jesus wakes up this dead boy. And I want you to think about that. He who was once dead now, just just one single word, one single phrase, one single moment. This guy who is now dead and is ready for burial is now alive. It's that simple. The same word of Jesus still comes to you. Do you realize that? The word through my mouth or or his mouth, the word spoken that forgives your sins. When Jesus says something is so, it's so. It's that big of a deal. It's life changing. In a little bit, when his words will get spoken as well, come out of of my mouth as they are sung very clearly to you that, that this bread is his body, that this wine is his blood, boom, the same thing happens. Isn't that marvelous? To know that there is one who has power and authority over all things, including your life, and now has such compassion that he comes to give you these gifts and to speak to you, to let you know that there is even yet a future to come? Jesus' way of having compassion is so different from the way of the world. Because in Jesus' eyes, death is like life, meaning that God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. We talk about losing people, right? Oh, we lost Bill back in 1992. Bill's not lost, folks. 
If you say that to me, I probably won't interrupt you right away because I'm not Jesus. I'll probably look at you and I'll, I might give you a little pastor hug and I'll gently remind you that, that Bill, who died in the faith, is very much alive. Because here's what happens. For you and me as sinners, this world becomes an idol. We define our direction and where we're going based on the things of this life. And Jesus comes to tell you that there's so much more than that. That there is an eternity that waits. And the resurrection, there's, there's a new heaven and a new earth. New bodies for you. This should be a big deal for you as a Christian. This should even give you great joy, no matter how or what manner of death, when one of us is called forth from this life by Jesus. And that's why a Lutheran funeral is usually really not about the person. It's about what God and Jesus Christ has done. About how through his life, his suffering, and death, he has now bestowed all that, not only to this person, but to you. That's yours. John 5, we're told the hour is coming and has come. There's that now and not yet. The hour is coming and has come when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth. So we should not be afraid of death. We should not be afraid of death. We should not be afraid of judgment. If you are, where do you seek help? Where do you seek your counsel? You might look to your doctors. You might look to medicines. You might look to procedures. You might look to your own good works. And you might fall down and worship and idolize all of these things because by gosh and by golly, you know the path you're on and no one's going to interrupt you. Jesus will, I guarantee you, because he has compassion on you, because he loves you. Prepare yourself not only for that, but arm yourself for the mercy that now comes from Christ, mercy that is both physical and spiritual. Bodily we get. That's the stuff from the catechism that we memorized and we still pray every Wednesday here at Advent. That's house, home, land, animals, clothes, food, children, all that I have. If your neighbor's in need of those things, do what you can, as much as you can. But the spiritual, that's a little different. We don't always want to talk spiritually, right? Jesus says if we see a brother, if we see our neighbor caught in sin, that we're supposed to care so much about them. We're supposed to believe that there actually is a hell, and it's hot, and it's eternal. That we would not only point out sin, but help guide them and steer them away from that so that they can be forgiven. That's why this afternoon we'll be standing out for an hour on the streets down off 38th Street praying as a silent witness to what? The fact that abortion is sinful and wrong, that it's murder, that God says so. Not in judgment of others, but in simple acknowledgement of what His Word says, of the truth of Scripture. To let people know as well there are those who care for those who have struggled with such sin. Those whose lives have been affected. 
We care about our our world, our country, and our neighbors. That's hard work though, isn't it? It's hard work to deal with the spiritual side of things. But yet here comes the truth of God. This is how Jesus comes to have compassion. And he comes in a very in-your-face way, which a lot of people fail to realize and often ignore. He comes to shake up your life and even your view of death. To know that in him there is life. To know that in him there is forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. This is yours freely. And through that, he will equip you for every good work. He will sustain you to the end. And that's why we say things like, may the Lord grant so-and-so a blessed death. Because he will call you one day. And you will be at rest. And he will provide for those of us left behind. The Lord always has compassion, but in ways this world doesn't always acknowledge or understand. In the front of your hymnal, a portion of our psalms are printed off for use in our worship services. Would you open up the front of your hymnal and let's close with Psalm 112. Psalm 112 in the front of your hymnal, verses 6 to 10, provide a really good summary of what we've learned today, both from our Old Testament, the story of Elijah, as God listened to his words, and from our gospel where Jesus, who is the word, comes and speaks And in the midst of death, there is life. That means such great things for you and I as Christians. Gives us great strength, such great comfort. Psalm 112, 6 to 10. Let's read that. Let's pray that together. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Lord God, Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, you have brought life and immortality to light. Bless us as we struggle with death, with those we love who we talk and say that they are lost or been taken from us, but they've been granted the best gift of all life with you. Thank you for the compassion that that you showed upon this widow. You did that, O Lord, to show your power and your might that others would turn to you in faith. Bless us in this life that we would have compassion on those who are in need, both spiritually and physically. Bless us this day as we speak against the ways the the world would would turn us from your truth. The way our world would, would look at life and what you have given. Give us, O Lord, the eyes of faith that we may be strengthened to receive your gifts to live here, and according to your will, have a blessed death. Grant us such good things. In the name of Jesus. Amen.